the mass shooter and the state trooper are both born in the womb of Mother America. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Beaubrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. <clears throat> if you're a first-time listener, thank you guys for tuning into this ongoing conversation. Appreciate you. Welcome. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. Thank you guys for lending me your ears for more than a year. And um, thank you for the Cash App donations. Thank you for dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. Uh, thank you for the uh, Zells that are through my email, which is uh, juniorbobrun at gmail.com. That is J-U-N-Y-A-B-E-A-U-B-R-U-N at gmail.com. Thank you for that. I appreciate you guys. I know that the last episode was a bit controversial, and if my platform gets any bigger, which it will, um, there will be certain factions and sections that will be looking to cancel me or spam me or whatever the heck that means. Whatever the heck that means, but guess what? <clears throat> I've had bigger fish to fry in my life. I've fought bigger battles than right or left-wing cancel culture because guess what? A cancel culture is not just exclusive to... Um, the um the new woke generation the dogmatists of the new left in america it's also on the right as well who cares um if anyone would like to uh debate me on these truths such as they are when we look at how many non-violent offenders are in jail but yet do our streets feel any safer does you know do, do you feel safer out there that our prison population is the largest in the world, but does America feel any safer? So the things that I'm saying there, I'm bringing up these points as to say that if anyone wants to summarily dismiss me, you're part of the problem. And you're going to be the reason why America meets its demise by, uh, you know, through a death of a billion equivocations. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this loudly. America's ambivalence will be its undoing. Because when you're hearing the cries and the moans and the groans and the grievances from the from the others, from those other Americans, and you just shrug your shoulders and eh, well, 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 luckily it's not me. That's what America has done very well over centuries. While there were a select group of people that were suffering inhumane, the most immoral and amoral conditions. There were the majority was protected by the law, not subjected to the law, even though the law was unjust. They walked by those signs that said this one is allowed. This one's not allowed. They saw the indignancies. They they, they heard these indignancies, indignancies in these derisive terms being used at their dinner tables and in their churches and their institutions. And they did nothing because they were beneficiaries of the system, not victims of this of the system. How the system ate benefited them. So they thought. <clears throat> but now, does it seem like our American chickens have come home to roost? And now Americans are afraid of Americans. The same majority that shrugged their shoulders and just dismissed with ambivalence what was going on in other communities 
Now things are happening in their community. The drug abuse, the overdoses, the violence. Do you feel safer now? You feel safe in a suburban suburban mall? Whether you're at the, the, the inner city mall or mart or the suburban mall, you can't even go to a, 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 a July 4th parade in Highland Park, which I visited, very nice neighborhood. That's not the south side of Chicago. That ain't Chirac. Highland Park is, is nice. Meanwhile, look what just happened on July 4th, America's birthday. These things are poignant and they're significant. I'm not going to sit here and be some sort of ideological opportunist, but empires rise, empires fall. And it's usually a, it's by death of a million or billion indignations. It's through tiny, tiny cuts. And then all of a sudden, those tiny cuts don't heal. And you keep cutting in the same places over and over again. And guess what? The very fabric of the thing that you have dissolves. The very thing that you were cutting is no more. You cut so deep now, the thing can't heal. It'll never heal. And then it dissolves, it dies. There's, it's, it's inevitable demise. Now, I'm not saying what we are looking at right now is the, the fall of American empire. What I'm saying is we're looking at the faults of American empire when America's eating its own. You're seeing communities that traditionally didn't have to go through violence or drug abuse or suicide, and they're at epidemic proportions. And I'm saying to you, the same system that created the mass shooters and corruption amongst law enforcement, because by definition, if the laws are flawed, law enforcers will be flawed. Because me, as a, as a, as a prudent, upright, sober, moral human being i could not work in law enforcement because i know many of the edicts that would be handed down by the hierarchy and higher ranking officers would not be moral would not be just and would not be righteous and for me to be able to look in the mirror every morning the way i've been able to do i know one thing about myself am i perfect absolutely not but you know something i've never once in my life succumbed to peer pressure I was a problem student in elementary school and the teachers couldn't define what my problem was because they said to my mom, he doesn't need to play with anybody to have fun and he doesn't get in trouble with anybody. I've no they said they've noticed that I'm not compelled to move in any packs with anybody. That was me at eight, nine years old. At eight, nine years old, I decided that I'm gonna be in trouble by myself. I'm going to be a troublemaker. I'm myself. I am my I am a I am a one boy disruptive. Uh, I wasn't going into the principal's office with a group of kids. It was just me. It was me saying why at an early age. But then I was just being a badass. But what I'm trying to say is not one time. Have I had to follow an order that I have to look back on and go. Oh man, I wish I didn't do that. I wish, I wish, I wish I stood up for myself. I wish I didn't do that because now can I look at myself as a, as a truly moral human being when the time for me to stand on my ethics, for the time for me to stand on my principles and my ethos and the idea of myself that I have when I had that opportunity 
I chose the gig over my, my morals. I chose employment over ethics. I chose something else. I chose that. I, I chose to move the goalpost. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. The beautiful thing about the life that I'm living right now, all the mistakes I made, I made on my own. I can credit a lot of people for my triumphs. So the, the things that I've triumphed, I can say thank you to this teacher. Thank you to mom. Thank you to dad. Thank you to grandma, grandpa, uncles, aunties. I can thank a ton of people for the things I've done right. And I only have myself to blame for the things I've done wrong. I have not been compelled to comply with something that ran afoul of my ethics, principles, and morals, and ethos. My own personal narrative. That's mine. I die for that. I don't die for flags. I don't die with uniforms on. I die for the idea of myself. That's who I am. That's who I am. So what we were speaking about in the last episode when I was speaking about um, an encounter I had with a moral mental midget that represented the state apparatus in the form of a state trooper, you know, manifesting in, in state trooper. And I was speaking about how important that is to to. Because the relationship between police and its citizenry is a microcosm of its society. Okay, It's a fundamental dynamic of its society. I don't care if you're in Europe, you're in Asia, South Africa, Africa, South America, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. And in America, the fundamental unit of measurement of our society is police and its citizenry. Why do I say that? Some people can go, really, why, June? Well, well first and foremost, police was created in this country to catch runaway slaves. That's the sheriff's department were created to catch runaway slaves. That was their that's how they were created. The minority of owners in the south of plantation owners and slave owners in the south. They were outnumbered. I think they were, what were they outnumbered? Three, four, five, the one I can't even remember. But they were a small minority that owned property and owned slaves and were wealthy. And they owned a bunch of people. And guess what they needed to keep those people in line and get them back in line? They created sheriffs and police. So that may sound hyperbolous to you, but um, do you feel safer? I mean, do you not understand that police are there to protect property? There's a reason why when you looked at the L.A. riots, did you see what they were protecting? The business owners, they were protecting the business properties and things of that nature. And they let the people burn down their own neighborhoods. When I say that, said before that if I steal $6,000, that's grand larceny, and I'm going to jail. But if I steal $600 million, there's nothing that a cop can do. There's nothing. I'm outside of the reach of their laws, practically, because once I get to that level, I'm one of the lawmakers. How many times have I heard that uh, the tax code isn't written by anyone in Washington? It's written by accountants in corporate offices that are rubber stamped by our politicians because our politicians aren't tax experts. They don't know anything about that. They may have a couple of tax people on their payroll, but they rubber stamp these two, three, four hundred page tax codes. And the people in the know know how to navigate through the new tax codes and everyone else is just left subjected to the new law, not protected by it. America's ambivalence will be its undoing. 
America's ambivalence will be its undoing. When I look at how the justice system operates, where the district attorney's office is the same office that funds the public defender's office. So let me get this straight. A district attorney, that the only way they get to keep their job is by the conviction rate. And the budget for public defenders, public defender is someone who is hired, who is a city worker, <clears throat> who acts as counsel for people who can't afford counsel on their own. They don't have the means, they don't have the resources to actually get private counsel. So guess what? The DA's office has the budget for the public defender's office. So do you think that that public defender's office is going to be staffed enough, equipped enough, have enough funding to actually threaten the DA's conviction rate? And that DA needs that conviction rate not only to keep their job, but also, listen to me now, but also to get promoted. So you go from assistant DA, ADA, to DA, then from DA to attorney general, oftentimes to the mayor's office, oftentimes to the governor's mansion. It's, it's, it's being able to lock up individuals in this country through the law and order matrix that is fundamentally flawed that can almost guarantee you a seat in higher office if you can prove to do that effectively. Meanwhile, most Americans that are in the judicial, in the justice system, they don't go to trial. They plead out because they don't have the money to go to trial. And that still counts as a conviction for the DA. And there was a study that I was reading that said that if, if, if every single last person decided to go to trial in the United States, that our American judicial system would break down. It would literally overload because the American judicial system is not equipped to give everyone a fair trial. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said? So this is when I ask why. Remember what I said last conversation, if you guys weren't listening, why? I can tell you how free your society is based on the state apparatus's response to a citizen asking why. <laughs> See, the thing is about the overreach of that, that mental moral midget in the form of a state trooper. And this is not all state troopers. I'm saying that your system is flawed. I'm not saying defund the police. I'm not saying all of that nonsense. I'm saying that your system is fundamentally flawed. So you are fundamentally flawed and how you enact, how, how you enforce the laws is going to be in, in uniformly or fundamentally flawed because it's garbage in, garbage out. That's what I'm speaking about. So if any cop takes exception to what I'm saying, hey, sorry, your system is flawed from from the upper reaches to the ranks of people that you'll never meet. You're on the, you're on the ground with me. You're on the ground with me. You don't even see you've never met your lawmakers. I haven't either. You go to work every day. So do I. <clears throat> you're on the ground with me. You're not in the governor's mansion. You're not in the mayor's office. You're on the ground with me. So that's ground zero of the fundamental dynamic of our society. My boots are on the ground and so are yours. And your edict and your manifest, your mandate is to take one of your boots to put on my neck and buck break me. And when I ask, why is this happening? They're like, this buck refuses to be broken. 
so let me do certain things. He seems to be def a certain kind of independent streak is running through this one. He must think he's a full citizen and a full human being, an autonomous sovereign male. No, 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 no. You are under the behest and you are, you are, you are, you are a victim of those that follow orders and you are subjected to not protected. You are not protected by these laws. You are subjected to these laws. So when I look at these things, and look at the DA's office and I look at the bail apparatus where a poor person is in jail without the bail, which means their crime is being poor. They're incarcerated for being poor. When I look at our DA system where you get these conviction rates for these nonviolent offenses and you try to throw these football numbers, you try to throw these halftime basketball scores at these human beings who don't have the means to go to trial and you penalize them. If you decide to go to trial, it's going to be 50 years. But if you plead out now, it's going to be five to eight. What you want to do? And this person's like, I don't have money. My family don't have a home to refinance or use as collateral for my case. So I'll take the years. And our system depends on people taking the years as opposed to going to trial, which means, which, 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 which begs the million dollar question is, do you have people behind bars who took the years and were innocent of the crime just so they didn't, because they couldn't afford to go to trial and do 50 years for a crime they didn't commit, so they decided to do 10? And the answer is yes. I, I, I've looked at the data. The answer is yes. You have plenty of people right now that have taken the years and then come to find out they get exonerated. But but if they had the means to go to trial, uh, any effective lawyer would have been able to do it. But, you know, legal you know, public defender is going to sit there and say, we don't have enough of a budget to go to trial and to hire investigators and hire experts and fly experts in and have them stay in hotel rooms or Whatever the case may be, we just don't have the resources. So you might as well take the years, take the numbers. That's the public defender's office because they're not funded enough because their budget comes from the very same people on the other side. In this adversarial system, the public defender's office gets their money from the DA's office and the DA counts on the conviction rate for them to become ADA, DAs, mayors, governors, senators, etc., etc. They use that tough on crime mantra to get elected. I was tough on crime. I had a 98% conviction rate. Ooh. I'd like to unpack every one of those convictions. Do you mind? I know how the system eats, ladies and gentlemen, and it eats its young. And it's been eating its young from its inception. Its judicial system was there to protect the property and the slave owner from the outset and the beginning. Happy birthday, America. Just letting you know, this is the country of my birth. And this country has given my, me and my family a lot. What does that mean? I don't have the right to criticize. I'm supposed to love it or leave it. When a family member of yours that you love does something, do you not suggest to them best pra better practices? You do something that you know is to their detriment, to the detriment of themselves and others. Do you not say, hey, listen, man, let me pull you to the side. You know, I'm saying this because I love you. Hmm? But yet the blind nationalist who refuses to look at America through anything less than rose-tinted lenses, when, I, when you mention something that's fundamentally wrong with its, this country's inception, its conception, and, and how it's being executed. You mentioned that, oh, you love it or leave it. They tell people like me to go back to Africa. Well, okay, but guess what? I'm going to tell you guys something. I'm going to take them up on their offer. I think I'm going to leave it.
I think I'm going to leave it. I, I am. I have this. Well, it's not my saying. <clears throat> Chris Rock had one of his specials, one of my favorite comedians of all time on my Mount Rushmore of comedians. <clears throat> Chris Rock had a bit and I love this bit and I've mentioned it before. Chris Rock had a bit where he mentioned, um, he said, uh, he started off by saying, you know, Siegfried and Roy, you know, Roy, one of them got bit by the tiger and everybody's blaming the tiger, talking about the tiger went crazy. Oh, the tiger went crazy. And then Chris Rock said that tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger went tiger. That is the nature of the thing. And it was acting within its nature. So the reason why I'm able to speak about what happened with me and this cop and I've had, and it's not because I've had hundreds of, or, or almost a hundred um, encounters with police acting in a corrupt overreach and capacity being morally repugnant, et cetera, et cetera. It's because I understand the tiger and I understand the American tiger. And I, I understand it at least to the, the to the degree of my relationship with the American tiger. Let's just say that. Let me not say that I understand the American tiger through and through, but I definitely have a strong grasp of America's relationship with people like me, black or someone who's identified as a black heteronormative male in the United States, the most surveilled, the most incarcerated, the most murdered, the most hyper-policed, in this country, yeah, I know that I don't have any allies here. Don't let these BLMers in the streets or these Antifa people, don't let them fool you into thinking that they're allies of me. As a black heterosexual, heterosexual American male, I know that I don't have any allies. I know that the only allies I have are a couple of blood relatives and a couple of good friends, but I am not allied with any groups. There are no allies. You have no allies. I know that because when something happens to you, people blame you. All these other groups. I remember um, Amadou Diallo was shot in New York City. Or was it Sean Bell? Can't remember. See, I think it was Sean Bell, a man who was shot the night before his wedding during his bachelor party he's coming out into the parking lot he's unarmed his friends are unarmed the cops for whatever reason shoot him and they shoot him multiple times so many bullets rang out the newspapers called it contagious shooting i watched the whole system rally around these cops when they executed this man coming out of a bachelor party when he was supposed to be wed the next day and i remember reading the newspaper and it said contagious shooting they were making up things Ooh, one person shoots, then the other one starts shooting and they don't know what they're shooting at and that's what happens and that's what happens and, and let's wrap that up with a bow. It wasn't the cop's fault that they shot an unarmed man who was not in the commission or in pursuit of a violent crime. He was not wielding a knife. He was not wielding a gun. He was not wielding anything. He was leaving a bachelor party and was getting married the next morning. There's too many cases of that. And so the question is, when the, f the very fabric of, your, of, your, of your, your democracy or your republic is ruined, if law-abiding, tax-paying citizens don't feel safe from police... Explain to me how you're in a democracy or in, or in a republic. Explain to me how you're in a democratic republic if that's what's occurring. If you are not only afraid of police, you're not afraid of police, you're afraid of what they can do. And, you, and you're afraid of what they can do with impunity, without punishment, without recompense. And that's the world we live in. So what I'm saying is America is going to pay for its ambivalence. These very same departments that were created, these very same apparatuses that were created to, 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 to snatch up 
black males that were running away from plantation uh, 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 paradigms. <clears throat> when I get pulled over and I'm compelled to do things that I'm not, I don't want to do, or I'm told to do things, and I have to factor in my girlfriend, is she going to be able to drive the car? I mean, I'm going to go to jail. Now I'm, now I'm in jail in another state. So now I have to figure out how to, now I have to think about all these things for her. And remember what I said, truth seekers and truth speakers get assassinated, incarcerated, marginalized, ostracized, and exiled. That's what happens to truth seekers and truth speakers. So when you truth seek and you ask the question why, and the, and, and, and the authoritarian gets beat red, that's when you know it's an authoritarian. Because if you ask a person why, well, hey, you want to know why? This is why. This is why. A civil servant who works for me. But that's the paradigm that I think it's supposed to be. But that's not the actual apparatus such as it is. The apparatus such as it is, is that sheriff's office and police departments were enacted in the South to catch men that looked like me. And what were they doing? They were running away from illegal, from, from unrighteous, from immoral, unjust practices. But those practices were legal and lawful. Those practices were legal and lawful. So it turned the innocent into the criminal and the criminal into the innocent. You understand? I'm trying to open up a lot of people's minds who have been so accustomed to conforming just for conforming's sake and have forgotten how to ask why and, and they dare not say enough because after why comes I will not comply and enough is enough. That's what the why leads to. That's why the system hates why. Because of what it represents. Why is the beginning. Why is the beginning. Because after you answer this why and I still go, hey, you know what? That's just not a good enough answer. I think I'm going to just, you know, I, I will not comply. Uh-oh. Then you're going to see how free you are. Are you going to be incarcerated or assassinated or both? Are you going to be ostracized, marginalized, or exiled? I'm saying right now that as a truth seeker, truth speaker, that I may be doing this whose world is this with Junior Renee Brun and other media endeavors from a country outside of the place that I was born. That I may be, because if I'm going to be treated like a foreigner, I might as well be a foreigner. Do you understand? And when I say a foreigner, I'm treated with, if you're going to be treated like a non-person, a non-citizen, or a non-entity, because I've seen that happen. When I was living in Italy, I seen how some of the gypsy Romanis were treated. As a matter of fact, in one of my classes, we went to visit, had a wonderful class with a wonderful professor, and I was studying Italian art and architecture and sociology. He had a PhD in sociology from the, he, he was all, he had double doctorates. He knew a lot about a lot. And, you know, he took us to a Romani camp. Actually took the class because he had friends there. And I was like, this teacher is off the hook. Awesome. You know, these are places that most Italians will not go to. And I saw how the Romanis were treated. They're not allowed to get Italian citizenship unless they marry an Italian and how they're treated by police and how they're treated by society as non-entities and non-people. And I saw it firsthand and I heard their stories. 
and we went to visit there. I think more than we went to visit as a class once. And I think me and the professor, we used to hang out. I think we went back. Yeah, we went back, you know, and um, and he told me something. He said, June, be very careful. I don't want you to because I was making friends there. You know, I met a lot of Romanis. They were cool as hell. You were drinking, having fun. And he said, June, don't come here by yourself. He said, don't ever come here without me. And I said, why not? He said, because they'll treat you like an African. And, you know, you know, so even if you have your American passport on you, they're going to treat you like you're some sort of African person who probably got you. So don't come here without me. That's what he told me in Italy. That's what he told me in Italy. Fear the police because of I'm going to be treated like a non-entity. But here I am in the United States, U.S. of A., land of the free, home of the brave, etc., 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 and the times where my mortality goes up exponentially is when I'm in exchanges with police. As a law-abiding, upright, tax-paying citizen, every, if I'm in encountering police, the chances of me being killed, wrongfully detained and arrested go up exponentially just with routine traffic stops because of the armed response of routine traffic stops in a system that inherently created that position to chase people like me. That position that he has, that police position, the sheriff's position, the state trooper position, all of those positions were created to do what? Chase people like me down. Meanwhile, if someone like me gets murdered, there's only like a less than 50% chance that any one of these people in an investigatory capacity can actually find my killer because they don't know how to investigate. They just know how to subjugate. They know how to dig into your pockets, compel you to act or else, but do they know how to actually fight crime? No, because every single last time that you are pulling over and subjugating, oppressing, repressing and suppressing law abiding citizens, that's another criminal that's getting away with something. This is why your system is like this, because it's supposed to be like this. So even though I'm singling out this particular person for what he did to me in that particular day, he's part of an apparatus. So when people keep speaking about community policing, I go, please stop. They need more training. Please stop. You don't want to fundamentally change the system. Then we have nothing to discuss. When that, the officer, the, the officer who secretly recorded his superior officer in the NYPD, telling them to go out into the streets and just give out fines and citations. It doesn't matter if they did it or not. Each one of those guys was supposed to go out in the street and just give out citations. Is that investigation? That's not investigation. That's oppression. That's occupying army tactics. Are you really going to find out who did what to whom on what street and find out the dynamics of the neighborhood that you're actually policing? So you can actually not God know not only are you going to solve crimes, but you can actually dot 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 dare I say prevent crimes. You can actually prevent the crime because you kind you know the dynamic of the neighborhood that you're in. People are talking to you because you've treated the innocent with respect. You've treated the you've exalted the innocent. You've rewarded the innocent. And you've said, listen, man, you were speeding a little bit, but here's, I'll give you a little warning. It's all good. You know what I mean? I see. I like your car, everything like that. Here's my card. If you know of anything going on, you know, that you don't like or you feel unsafe about certain people in your neighborhood, I promise it won't get back to you. But let us know. Let us know. Drop a number on that line. It could be anonymous, but, you know, we just need your help to keep your street safe. Do you know how far that little sentence goes? to a young kid who's 18, 19 years old driving and now is going to have their own personal experience with law enforcement 
detached from what the media tells them about law enforcement or what their friends told them how to feel about law enforcement. But now all of a sudden it's good. It's like, nah, that guy can say, nah, man, I don't know about you, but that's not all cops. Not all cops are bad. Not all cops. Matter of fact, such and such who works, who drives around, who works the evening shift, he's cool as hell. He gets, that's different. But the reason why those policies aren't implemented is because there's not supposed to be a great relationship between us and law enforcement because fundamentally it's not about keeping our streets safe. And fundamentally they don't care. The system is made to subjugate, not investigate. That's why they can't solve any murders. They can't solve any big drug, drug crimes. They can't arrest any real big drug. That's, it's, the system is not made for that. When I'm hanging out and minding my business and all of a sudden all the cops pull over and pull me over, you know what that shows me? You know what that shows me? You have no idea what's going, in on, going on in our neighborhood, nor do you care if it's us that you're pulling over. If you had a clue or cared to have a clue or if your mandate was to have a clue, if you were mandated to have a clue, I would be the last guy you'd be pulling over. <clears throat> and you, I'd be the last guy you're stopping and frisking if you had a clue. But your six months of training has led you to do this. Your little six, your little six months, your little now you're in the streets thinking that you can police human beings. This is where we are, people. So when I mean when I, I there's there's a big contingent in this country that doesn't want you to complain or critique this country. And I think that you're supposed to critique the things that you love the most. I love my family. I'll critique their actions. I'll suggest that my mom and dad, great people. Do, do they get are they perfect? Absolutely not. My mom, you know, my mom, would. I'm her firstborn child. She looks at me like the apple of her eye. My brother's her baby. He's he's he was Mr. Little Perfect. But did that did that um, insulate us from being criticized by our, our, our mom or reprimanded? Even though she looked at us, she spoiled us to death. Did that stop us from being because we family? So this is the American family, right? So so if people out there are saying love it or leave it, that means you're part of the same contingent that says do this or else. You're part of the same conformist contingent, the same cowardly conformist contingent that says just follow orders. Just be at the behest of those that give out orders, that are following orders. I have a problem with that, people. I have a problem with that. So that's why I've grown fatigued with the American tiger <clears throat> and how it bites. I'm fatigued with the American tiger because everywhere has a tiger. Germany has its tiger. Italy has its tiger. The U United Kingdom has its tiger. Venezuela has its tiger, Brazil, Costa Rica, every place has its tiger. I've grown fatigued with this particular species, the American tiger. I may have to go someplace else because I really can't find a state within this union that's a truly a reflection of me. And I've traveled extensively. I've traveled through half of it. The other half I have not. But when I look at the politics of certain places, I look at the, 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 the aesthetic and all things being considered, the weather, the aesthetic, the history, the politics, the attractions. And I go, wow, this place doesn't have as much to offer as I thought. And then how I'm treated by the state apparatus. I go, my goodness. My, my, my Americanness may get me more mileage someplace else than here. 
And as a matter of fact, in my travels, it has. So, so it's one of the things I wanted to discuss. Like, you know, you know, a lot of those uh, I remember right around the time of um, the Bush, George Bush, the second's administration during all the Iraq war and uh, false pretenses that this country went into a war with another sovereign nation and said, well, yeah, they didn't have weapons, but they're bad people anyway. Oh, OK, I got it. You know, the um, shock and awe and all of that. I remember all the license plates when I was living in Palm Beach, Florida. Love it or leave it. Go home. You don't like it. Go someplace else. Um, the Obama, when Obama was elected, the whole the, the uh, Dixie flag, Confederate flag on one side, and then it would have Obama and it would say black to Africa or back to Africa Af- or something like that. It would say these little funny terms. I saw them all over the place and I just shook my head and I went... Yeah, okay. This is are we sure we're in the 21st century and what does that mean? We we have the ability to to create uh, uh, digitally printed organs. We can turn penises into vaginas and vice versa, but somehow some way this whole we can send we can send uh, just private citizens are going to the moon now. Soon the moon is going to be on Expedia and Travelocity. We can do all of this stuff. Cars are driving themselves human transplant transplants of this oh i put a human heart into a horse i put a horse into a rat all of these things going on in labs all over the world right now just in, in incredible science and technology meanwhile this whole human fellowship thing ip, just can't get that down just just can't nail down this whole fellowship amongst men this whole brotherhood we are a warring tribe this human species there's only a select few of us it's the Pareto principle, right? Remember that? They say 20%, you know, if you're in a classroom, uh, 20% of the students are the ones who get 80 and above. In a, in a particular community, maybe 5 to 10% of the population is what's committing all the crimes. If you work in sales, it's 20% of the, uh, uh, the sales force that's bringing in most of the revenue. I remember I used to work in the, in, in the record industry, and the record industry uh uh, operates at an 80 to 90 percent failure rate only 10 to 20 percent of the acts actually fund the label and keep everybody you know uh, employed so it's 10 to 20 percent of the acts that fund the other 80 to 90 percent of the acts that fail so i look at that and i say okay you know is that the principle I'm working on now? But when I look at it, I say it's only about 10 to 20% of the population that's heroic. And we allow them to be slaughtered. We ask them why are they, when, they, when, when, they're, when they're taking up for the rest of us, we say, well, why are they so angry? When that, when that person asks why, or that organization asks why, and then they say enough, and then they take to the streets, and then they demand change, and the rest of the ambivalent Americans or the ambivalent people across the planet go, well, I don't see what the big deal is. And they start to equivocate and justify the power apparatus and the, and the machinations and the methods that it uses to keep, to attain, sustain, and maintain power. And then all of a sudden, those people that said why and enough, that 10 to 20% of the population, or dare I say it's less than that, when they finally, when they get incarcerated or assassinated, 
exiled, marginalized, and ostracized. And then years and years and decades later, sometimes centuries later, now we deify and canonize them and name holidays and streets and have movies after their struggle. And so our heroes suffer while cowards prosper. That's the way of the world. And I realize that. Heroes suffer, cowards prosper. So the heroes out there, the truth seekers and the truth speakers out there who get assassinated, incarcerated, uh, marginalized, ostracized and exiled. They, they don't get you know, that, that truth speaking professor doesn't get the tenure job. They don't the, he doesn't get he or she doesn't get the uh, 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 the major publishing deal. So they have to go with the tiny publishing deal. And they have to scrimp the big thinker, big speaker. They got to scrimp while the mediocre rise to the top the coward prospers the mediocre prospers and rises through the ranks and the truth speaker truth seeker is out there on the margins until later on in life or or, or when they're gone far after they can receive those flowers or be cognizant of those flowers that's where we are people i know that this tiger is going to bite me this american tiger it's had its, it, it, I know, that's what it does. It bites. But I'm kind of tired of the, the American tiger bite. Maybe I should just go someplace else. And it's very possible. It's very possible that within a calendar year, this show will be held from another destination, another home. Another, I'll be domiciled someplace outside of this great nation of ours. And that will be a shame because that means a good man was turned cynical by the very society that he lives in, the very apparatus that he lives in, that a good man was turned cynical, a good upright citizen, a good ambassador was turned cynical. So that's an indictment on this country, not on me. That's an indictment on the apparatus, not on me. That's an indictment on the narrative, not on me. That's an indictment on all the people out there that know that things are fundamentally wrong and don't speak up an indictment on them as well not on me not on me i've grown fatigued with the american tiger i'm tired i'm tired i want to see old buildings or very very new buildings so it's like the difference between living in rome or living in singapore or or or, or tokyo or something i want to do something new see something new have a different paradigm because what occurred with me and that officer Two couple of days before Juneteenth, which is ironic, because what is Juneteenth? Juneteenth is what? That is the anniversary of the what? What is that? Of 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 the abolition of slavery, right? That's what it is. So it was June something, you know, in eighteen sixty five, right? So when you have that, that's interesting because here's the order. Here's the order from Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former master and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. Okay. That was a constitutional decree because before that it was it was um, legal to own slaves. Right. That's how the sheriff was born. The sheriff and the police were born because it was legal to own slaves. 
legal. So then I can get law enforcement to chase that Negro down and bring him back here and live under the most immoral, amoral conditions possible. I can rape, I can hang, I can do whatever I want with, to this human being with impunity and they can't do anything of the sort back to me. So I am protected by the law and you are subjected to the law. Hmm? So a couple of days before that anniversary of the freeing of people from that paradigm, a couple of days before that, here comes a sheriff trying to compel me like he would have tried to compel me a couple of hundred years ago or, or maybe even 50 years ago. Like I said, if you, if you, if you, if you listen to my uh, a little anecdote about that same officer trans, uh, transported back into time with me back into the same state that I was driving in or and through. Transported 50 plus years in, in, into the past. His state was a segregatory state. I would not be able, I would not be legally allowed to sit next to him in a diner. I would be breaking the law. You know, the funny thing is, <clears throat> after I drove away from that incident, <clears throat> I cursed that man who pulled me over. I said that I hope that someone, and I said this in my mind, I said, man, I hope someone near and dear to him dies and I hope they die only because he was out there trying to subjugate someone like me for no apparent reason. And the reason why that person that's near and dear to them died is because they were too busy being an enforcer of unjust laws and being a moral mental midget that they weren't there to help their loved one in need. I was like, I hope that happens. And then as soon as I had that thought, I immediately erased it from my mind. I said, that would make me him. So what I did instead, I looked for the most expensive cigar and whiskey bar in his town. So that evening, threw on the other watch. You know, there's the, there's the watch that I wear every day and there's the other watches and then there's the watches that I'm going to wear when I know I'm going to have a cigar in that hand. And I bought a $50 glass of whiskey in what his town considers top shelf cigar bar. By the way, it was not a bad cigar bar. I enjoyed it. So I had a $50 glass of whiskey and I toasted him. And I said, here's to this mental midget. Here's to the moral midget. May he grow an inch or two in intellect and in size, in, moral, in morals and in intellect. May he grow. And I toasted him and I had a couple of glasses of that, of that $50 scotch. Some top shelfian sort of thing. And I had the cigar and I had a nice little experience. And I toasted him because... If, you, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, I'm more of an Ent and he's more of a Hobbit. That's our perspective. And the Ent were the tree people. The Ent were the tree people. So I'm giving him an opportunity to, I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to keep moving on the path that I'm on. I'm giving him an opportunity to catch up, run up my leg, and hopefully he can stand on my shoulders and see what I see. Because I'm not going to stop and crouch all the way down to pick him up because he's not worth being picked up. I'm hoping that you catch up. I ain't going to pick you up because you're not worth it. I'll pick up others. I'll help exalt and elevate others. You, 
you just gonna have to catch up. And if you catch up enough and you do the effort enough to run and catch me while I'm taking those long strides that I take, because I'm a tree person, I'm an ent and you're a hobbit. And then in the hopes that you catch up to me and then you get to crawl up my leg and then you get to crawl up the tree bark and go up to my shoulders and, and then I'll be like, oh, you're here. And you're looking at me like, I want to see more. I want to be more. That's why I'm here. I'm like, ah, I see you put in the effort. Here we are. This is what you haven't been seeing. This is why I said the Buffalo shooter and the state trooper come from the same womb of, in Mother America. It's born of the same womb. I can tie that back in, people. That little crazy wannabe racist out there speaking some Nazi manifesto that you could find in any Southern history book or, 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 or literary guide in the United States. People like, to, people like to quote Nazism as if Nazism is something that was separate and apart from what the, what, the, what the world or what America was thinking about its own people, but its own American citizens that were darker. Nazi Germany and, and you know, Adolf Hitler, and I think it was, I don't know if it was Goering, or if it was uh, a Borman who said that, um, I don't know why the Americans are mad at us because all we did was take a page out of their book. We read all of their literature and how they've dealt with the Negro in their country, with the African. That's all we're doing. That's all we're doing. So w w all of a sudden we're evil? What are you talking about? Remember, this is the 20s and 30s. Okay? This is the 20s and 30s. America is only a couple of, couple of decades removed from having black people as chattel slavery, from chattel slavery. So what are we talking about? So when I say that that Buffalo shooter is from the same womb as this trooper who's trooping, who's, who's patrolling in his little fiefdom, the highway, I, 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 think, I, I think at this point I'm done driving through America. I'm going to fly into certain resorts and places and just Uber around because I'm sort of done. The man has, his, it's like I said before, Jimmy McNulty from The Wire once said that um, the, the cop on the beat is the last true dictatorship in America. You can turn something into nothing or nothing into something. You can, you can let someone go with a warning or you can really ruffle it up and, and mess things up. And you guys, because you guys are the ones who initiate contact with the general public, you guys can choose whether I'm assassinated or incarcerated at that particular moment. Or you can just use some some sort of measure to try to just diminish my full citizenry just a little bit. Because you want to show me who's boss. Cops are not my boss. I'm saying it to every single last person out there. They're civil servants and they work for you. As long as you are a law-abiding, tax-paying, upright, moral, sober, sound, sane uh, citizen, they work for you. And the more people who don't stand up for that, and just shake their heads and go, well, just do what they say. You're my enemy. I, I, that, that level of conformity is the kind of conformity that when things get really bad and your heroes go out there fighting for you, you'll be the ones hiding under your bed. Or you'll be the ones saying, well, I don't know why they're fighting. You won't even donate to the cause. Forget about taking to the streets. You won't even say, you know what? I really believe what this person is saying and doing, but I'm not in a position to actually help them physically so i'm going to send them some money financially okay you won't even do that so i have to deal with the pareto principle where there's only going to be 10 to 20 percent of the population that are actually going to act or even think in a heroic manner 
and make moves in a heroic manner and are not going to move their moral and ethical and principled goalpost. And, but the rest? <sighs> the rest. The rest. You know, I was saying to a friend of mine, I was talking about, um, <clears throat> and I said this years ago, this was about, I want to say, uh, early 2000s. I said, I don't know why that every cop or every law enforcement officer and every politician that I don't understand why people don't get flyers with that cop's face on it that has been guilty of um, the various acts in a particular community. I don't know why that person's face isn't emblazoned on every on every stop sign, barbershop, liquor store, salon in that particular neighborhood where they're policing, where people have that man's name and that man's badge number. And they're saying, watch out for this cop. This cop will plant evidence on you that's not yours. He will plant contraband. He will beat your son, your husband, your boyfriend, your grandson, your nephew up. Watch him. Shame is a hell of an effective tool to correct behavior. Shame is an effective tool to correct behavior. But it's going to be up to the citizens to be up for these tasks and have that picture and badge number at every barbershop. Watch out for him. Watch out for this group of cops. This group right here. Anyone going to do it? I used to say that. I said, I guarantee you things would change. All this talk about community policing. If you want a community police, then you police your community. You don't need the state's help to tell you who's doing what in your neighborhood. How do villages, remember we talk about it takes a village, right? How do villages police their neighborhood, How, police their village? They have certain standards and norms that the village must abide by. You don't, you're ostracized and exiled and marginalized. Ah, see, these are the traditions. These are the standards. These are the, these are the norms of our community. You must abide by them. You don't want to abide by them. You go now. You don't like it. Go. Why don't you do that? So if you got a, a kid in the neighborhood that's just causing ruckus, stealing cars, beating up people, selling drugs, whatever, get rid of him. Tell him, his mom and everybody, you guys got to go. You know, we're not going to call the cops. You just got to go. We're not going to use the state, but you got to go. You can't be here and do that. How come 80% of the population isn't policing the 10, 15, 20% that are doing the nonsense? It's not happening, is it? It's not happening. We don't need community police. There's no such thing. If you want a community police, then police your community. Forget about the state apparatus. They're flawed. There's garbage in, garbage out. They're not going to do it. It's a racket. It's organized crime. It's Joe Kennedy. It's JFK. It's the mafia. It's Chicago. It's everyone. It's everyone is complicit. That's why, that's why a criminal can make as much money as a corporate capitalist. It's the same game. It's the same game and the game is rigged. I see how the machine eats. It's young. I see how the monster eats. So with that being said, I'm not giving up my guns so these mental morons and midgets and moral midgets can have the guns to sick on me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I will not comply. And... I complied that day because I watched the worry in my woman's eyes because I know me and because I'm someone 
who's gotten into real wars with police in New York City, where it came to fisticuffs, where they used to they used to uh, uh, dry fire their guns on my head and go, ha ha, you look at it and have a bullet in it. And I was still defiant and non-compliant. And they would drive around and do nonsense to me and just leave me because there was no charge. Sometimes they didn't want to do the paperwork. And other times they did want to do some funny paperwork. And then I would go up in front of a judge and the judge would dismiss it. But the machine was eating because the judge's docket was full of these unlawful and wrongful detainments and detentions. Filled. And no one cares. And everyone shrugs their shoulders in ambivalence and wants to act as if they're part of a righteous system of law and order. The absence of war doesn't necessarily mean that you have peace. And I'm telling you out there, whether you are law enforcement or military, if you are an American, if you love America, you are going to have to resolve to the fact that America's ambivalence is going to be its undoing. It's malevolent acts and then it's ambivalence to those malevolent acts is going to be its undoing. And you're watching it hot off the presses. Look what happened July 4th, the birthday of America. Bombs bursting in air. Rockets red glare gave proof to the night that our flag was still there. That's a gangster rap. We're talking about bombs and rockets. Right? So those bombs and rockets went off for real with some kid, what a 21-year-old kid. We spoke about it. Some 21-year-old kid deciding shooting and from his town. His father ran for mayor of that town a couple of years ago. His father is a well-known businessman in that neighborhood, part of that community. The mayor of that town knew the, knew the child because of, because of the father's prominence. And look at that. Usually when we hear about violence in America, it's not coming from the kids of mayoral candidates, is it? What did I speak about earlier? We are in the upside down now where America's chickens have come home to roost, where its oldest traditions of repression, suppression, and oppression now, now you're seeing it eat its young because you think that it was just going to be relegated to a particular group so that the majoritative group just shrugged its shoulders. I'm not Native American. I'm not Negro. I'm not Hispanic. I'm not Asian. Oh, well, sucks to be them moving along. Ooh, crack epidemic. Oh my gosh, sucks to be them. They need to say no to drugs. Listen to Nancy Reagan. Moving along. Oh my gosh, homicides. Compton, Chicago, this one, that one. Chirac, blah, 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 blah. Moving along. Now all of a sudden, oh my God, drug epidemic now is a health crisis. We're not criminalizing drug use anymore because our jail system made a mint. Our privatized jail system made a mint off nonviolent offenders. Guess what you get? When you have a prison filled with nonviolent offenders, that means you have violent offenders on the street committing violent acts. Because if your prison has more nonviolent offenders than violent offenders, guess what? You've criminalized nonviolence. But yet the so then who's investigating the violence? If all of you guys are just digging in the pockets for possession charges, who's who's really investigating the real true, true, true bad actors? Oh, you're not. You're just chasing people down like like how you did in your inception because that's what you did when you first became police and sheriffs yeah you chased people down that's what you do you don't investigate you don't prevent or solve crimes yeah 
that's that's what they're showing. They said the murder homicide solving rate in America is at its historic lows. So that means that there's less than a 50 percent chance that a homicide that 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 involves black males will be solved. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's our that's our country. July 4th, you got mayoral kids of mayoral candidates shooting up the, the, the happy birthday parade, America's anniversary. If that's not poignant enough to point out what I'm saying, I'm tying all of these ends in for people that are not seeing that these are not divergent. They are convergent ends. You can tie it all in together. It's that same continuous string of yarn that we've been pulling on since episode one. We are going through it together in real time, whether it's happening in Russia or the Ukraine or in Somalia or in Ethiopia or in the United States or in Venezuela or in Haiti or Mexico. While that cop was pulling me over for being El Negro and telling me to get out the car so he can see who swings lower and to the left, trying to have a mano a mano slash buck breaking situation there was somebody that was on that same road transporting contraband in the form of people or goods that's what happens when you marginalize the innocent and the upright you live in a perverse society where you turn good men like me cynical Will you say good men like me get tired and say you know what I'm going to go someplace that looks like a chateau that's been around for a thousand years this young ass country is trying to is, 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 is I, I've grown bored with its its actions. It's like if I'm going to be treated like a foreigner and treated like as if I'm not really supposed to be here and you need to see additional information. Let me be from someplace that I'm not born in, that my parents did not naturalize in. Let me not be in a situation where a dynamic where the people that look like me didn't build the nation. Because it's an insult every single time my citizenry and my whole humanhood is diminished. So I might as well be someplace that I'm actually a foreigner. That my, the people that look like me can't profess to have built this land or this, that, and the third. I might as well go there. In a place that's older and has more, of a hist more historical equity and not just vast land upon land with nothing on it and you know a, a box store is considered progress in a particular neighborhood you know that's their version of a skyscraper or a monument so you know we're in a, we're in a world that 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 eats and eats and eats and eats but doesn't experience i go to other places people experience what they eat people here just eat that's why you have all you can eat that's why you have all these drive through windows while everybody else is sitting around in sidewalk cafes. Americans got cup holders and got to have food on their plate and in their, in their lap. So we're not experiencing, we're not experiencing each other. We're not experiencing anything here at this moment. Right now it's, it's becoming a society of just consumption. Consuming for consumption's sake. And we're not taking a minute to ask why. So that's the end of my ramble. I'm not really going to speak too much more about my situation with this particular um, officer, but I, I, I may do so because I've lodged a formal complaint. So it's ongoing. I didn't let it slide because it's people who let these things slide. That's how unchecked power 
becomes unchecked. When you don't check power, it remains unchecked and it becomes more difficult to rein it in. So I said, as a matter of posterity, it's important that my grievances be heard and be made formal. As opposed to just walking it off, because that's what my woman said. My woman was like, you know what? He's going to get his, you know, he's really he's thinking about what he did and he's regretting what he did. I said, regretting what he did. Sweetheart, you have this all wrong. My sweet, beautiful, intelligent, innocent, vibrant woman. That tiger went tiger. A snake never regrets its bite. A tiger never regrets the kill. What are you talking about? That was just another day at the office. And she just was silent after I said that. I said, you don't understand. No, he doesn't have any regrets. He's, ju he's been justified by centuries of these flawed laws. He's been justified, subsidized by the flawed logic that this country uses year in and year out, that it allows the treatment of its own citizens this way, that it allows this treatment. America shrugs its shoulders and because it shrugs its shoulders and it dismisses the grievances of other Americans, America has been lost its innocence. Every single last one of us are responsible for the things that are occurring in this country right now in neighborhoods that don't look like you, that look like you. It doesn't matter whether they're richer or poorer or darker or lighter than you speak your language or not. We are all complicit. We are all responsible. We are all culpable. We are all accountable, period. You can sit there and act as if eh, not my problem. Uh, nah, you know, I, I, what, what can I do about it? Speak up. Truth speaker, truth seeker. If you see something, say something. Isn't that what we say to the kids? If you see something, say something. If you see it, say it. If you know what's, if you know what's wrong, say something. Say something. If you saw something going on and you're like, you know what? I don't want to really want to get involved, but I got to speak on this. Use your social media platforms. Use your group chats. Use your hashtags. Call, call someplace. Do something. But we've done nothing for so long. And our heroes get assassinated and then they get holidays named after them or they get incarcerated or they say or they get exiled or they're living in hiding. Or they get marginalized. So they're here in our society, but not here. We're not paying attention to them because they're not on our airwaves. You know, they're not being uh, we're not being bombarded with their presence. They can't get the book deals or the tenured professor deals or the this, that, and the third. I remember I had a great teacher at, at, uh, in undergrad, right? <clears throat> a really good teacher. As a matter of fact, he was the best teacher in the school, but he wasn't a tenured professor. Out of all the teachers I had at my university, it was this adjunct instructor. And what does adjunct mean? That means he's not fully tenured at that university. He only gets paid per class. He doesn't get a salary. And his, you know, here's this man, he has a master's degree in politics and international studies. And he had an awesome survey of politics and economics. He went from Marx to David Ricardo to Adam Smith. It was just a, a great class, a great conversation. He and I weren't really aligned politically, but it didn't matter. And even at the end of the class, he said, you gave me a run for my money. 
And here's the guy who's a quote unquote teacher in this. And I'm just the student. He's like, June, I really, he was at my graduation. He, 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 he saw me and he was like, yo, June, I want, I'm going to be, I want to be the first person to shake your hand when you get off the stage. And he was, he saw when I got up and I didn't even see him, but he ran to me when I got off the stairs and he was the first person to shake my hand. That's how important that class was to me. Cause he and I would go back and forth in emails and in class. And it was awesome to the point where I remember I reached out to him recently Within the last couple of years, I had his email address. I found his email address. I said, bro, I said, I don't know if you remember me, Professor such and such, this, that, and the third. Um, I, I just, you know, if I were to go into teaching, I know that I want to teach ethics. I want to teach economics or politics or something along those lines. I would love to use some of the work that you did and you taught us as a, as a rubric. I said, I can't really find a lot of my notes. So I wonder if you had your notes and he responded like june it's such a pleasure to hear from you what's up man oh my goodness man i remember i can remember like yesterday you being in my class he said you were my one of you were if not my most formidable student and and i said so are you still teaching this man isn't teaching anymore because as an adjunct instructor let me explain something to you he would come into our class and sometimes he would have the notes from another class from a university he was teaching at. So he would get on the train and on the bus. He'd be at one school in Manhattan. Then he ends up at another school in Brooklyn. Then he ends up at another school in Queens, which my school was located, St. John's University. And he would be like, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, this is Pace University's notes. And so this is not a man who was a nutty professor. He was a very organized teacher. But the system that he was in treated this first-rate intellectual like some sort of intellectual mercenary contractor that had to run on the train and bus and cabs just to get the classes on time because he was getting paid per class because it's cheaper to pay a teacher per class than to make them a tenured professor. And out of all the teachers I had at that school, he was the best one. He gave up teaching to go into contracting. To go into contracting and fix homes or build homes or repair stuff. And he said, June, I had a growing family. And, you know, they only paid like $16, $17. An hour, and they were paying me per class, June. So I was only getting a couple of dollars. You know, let's say, let's say I'm getting maybe 50 bucks per class or less. He was getting, he wasn't making real money. And so one school would give them an assignment. Hey, we're giving you the 830 slot, and, but we don't have any more slots available. Then, oh, you got to go to Brooklyn to get the noon slot. Oh, noon to 130. Okay, then you got to go to St. John's and you got the, the 230 to something slot. And that's how he was living his life. This is the system we're in, a system that doesn't promote and doesn't protect and doesn't exalt or elevate the intellectuals in our society we pimp them out that's why america can't afford me to be a teacher because you pay substitute teachers in this country 11 12 13 14 dollars an hour people who actually went to school and got degrees who went and did the work so these people are the ones that are teaching your young sometimes it's not the best and the brightest people so these are the ones who taught the state trooper and taught the buffalo shooter they didn't learn from me. I know my worth and I know my intelligence quotient.
You're not going to get me to teach at these rates. Sorry, unfortunately. I can't afford the watches and the $50 whiskey. My bad. I don't, and I don't think I should give them up. I think I should be exalted. But that same perverse society that you live in that eats its young, it can't tell you that it wants the young to be the most intelligent, the best, and the brightest if you can't even teach, if you can't even pay the teachers. You're not going to attract the best and the brightest teachers. So they're not going to, so the teachers that you do get, are they going to even know how to bring out the best out of your bright kid? When we know that oftentimes that it's a labor of love for many teachers, that they're not getting paid, and oftentimes they become embittered, and they, you get good people turning cynical. And that's the world that we live in. That's the country that we live in. That's the, and, and, and the sooner we all can take a look in the mirror and look at our blemishes, then we can treat them. But if we're going to keep this love it or leave it song or if you don't like it, go back to go black to Africa and this, that, and the third. I've heard it all. I've heard that. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in forums. No one's ever said it to my face. That would be interesting. But I've seen it on bumper stickers. I've seen it all over the place. And I say to myself, okay, okay. And I see the dynamic that exists between me and law enforcement or people who look like me and law enforcement that goes back centuries. And that's our number one. That's our main tradition in this country. We don't have a lot of traditions. Not a lot of things that are traditional, a lot of trends, but that's a tradition. Traditionally, when that, that trooper, that, that half pig, half reptile, half midget, quarter pig, quarter midget, quarter moral, uh, quarter reptile, quarter moral and mental midget, when he was acting in the capacity he was acting in, he was acting traditionally. This idea of corrupt cops sometimes is somewhat of an oxymoron. They can't help it. The system in and of itself is corrupt. Garbage in, garbage out. Flawed laws. Mediocre system. Mediocre writers of the system are going to recruit mediocre people to do mediocre things. Flawed laws. Garbage in, garbage out. This is the tradition. If he's gonna, he can't chase me down for being a slave anymore. He can't chase me down for being sitting at a counter for whites only at a, at a diner anymore or an establishment. Can't do that anymore. So this is the remnants of that, people. So when I stand up and say why and ask why, I'm speaking of the remnants of that. And any law enforcement person or any person who can't see that then we can, we, we're not going to disagree, agree to disagree. I'm going to go to James Baldwin route. I'm going to go to James Baldwin route. And what did James Baldwin say? We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. We can disagree and love each other, but not on this point. Not on these points. Not on these points. And I could go on and on about this, and I may. Like I said, I'm lodging a formal complaint. And I won't name names and, 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 and give in, in, uh, specific details of conversations that I've had uh, unless, you know, I, I reserve the right to or not to do so. But um, I'm going to email a couple of these episodes to the actual police department if they want to speak to me and, 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 you know, and we could have a conversation about this stuff and they want to converse about it. And if they've taken umbrage or issue with some of the things that I said. We can, we can have that conversation. 
and I know I'll be on a government line and I'm I may and if they they want to keep a recording of it I may or may not record it but if I do record it I would not relinquish any of that information unless it's in a court proceeding it would not be made public under any circumstances so they may f not feel like they want to speak to me about it but I'm just letting them know I have a forum I have a platform and I can articulate as effectively as anyone what exactly the issues are I'm formidable and I'm a citizen and I'm upright and I have zero issues speaking about this in a public forum or in a private setting. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. We're, we're going to have this conversation. Okay. In, in, the, in the land of new technology where I'm being hyper surveilled and you can be hyper surveilled too. I can put this information out. Th the people are listening. Whether it's the Netherlands or New Mexico or Venezuela, I've looked at the stats. People are listening to what I have to say. People are donating. And if you have an issue with what I, if you take umbrage with what I'm saying, please feel free to email me. You can email me if you already have my email or you can email, email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. Feel free. We can have this convo. Because what people have to understand is, I didn't ask to be in this dynamic. I was put in this dynamic. And at an early age, I innately truth sought and truth spoke. And authority had to be earned. I had to, I had to truly look at your authority as legitimate. That's why I never looked at a teacher's authority more than my neighbor's. Certain teachers I would look at and I would look in their eyes. I'm like, this person's illegitimate in their capacity, but okay, they're a teacher, so fine. But you have to earn your right to, to be an authority figure of some sort. And as a civil servant, your job is to serve. And as crazy as it may sound, because traditionally their role is not to serve people who look like me. But I'm saying that you are. You are. There are going to be consequences, ramifications, and repercussions. And I'm hoping that more people decide to ask why. And if their why, the why that was given or the answer to that why is not sufficient, then they say, I will not comply. And you evolve from why to I will not comply to enough is enough. That's what the civil rights movement was. It was the why is this happening to us? Why is this continuing to happen? In, I will not comply and enough is enough. What do we want justice? When do we want it now? Not incremental, not let's listen to each other. Do the right thing. Stop playing. Stop acting like you don't know what the right thing is. Oh, I haven't been in your shoes. Stop it. You know damn well you wouldn't like your child to be treated the way I was treated. Knock it off. When, when, when people speak in that soft power language, I don't listen. You know you would not like your family or friends or anyone in your community to be treated the way you are treating people who look like me so stop with that you haven't walked a mile in my shoes empathy does not necessarily mean you need to walk in my shoes that's the beautiful thing about empathy you can you can feel it without having experienced it you understand so when i hear law enforcement hit me with the boilerplate answers you know i understand you as an african-american etc etc you've had certain sort of experiences with police that have may have colored your judgment no, it hasn't colored my judgment at all. It's clarified my judgment. I'm not looking at this apparatus with the rose-tinted glasses that everyone else is. The majority is looking at it through colored lenses. Their view is colored. Mine is actually transparent. I can see clearly. 
I see the system for what it is. I can give you dates, times, and all the data and statistics of why these things are occurring and occurring the way they are. It's not colored. It's what it is. My experience is not my experience. My experience is a collective experience. It's not just me. Oh, this is what June went through. Uh uh. This is, you can tell my story and boilerplate it all throughout New York City, all throughout Massachusetts, all throughout Portland, Oregon, all throughout South Florida, North Carolina, Atlanta, Chicago, uh, all places in between. Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arkansas, regardless of the place, you can tell this story. You can tell this story. Fire hoses on young children. The fireman was just following orders. His uniform told him to conform. And the people that were in the streets asking why I will not comply and enough, they were being hosed. And that fireman is going to say I was just following orders. From that same town that this man is from, this, this, this trooper's trooping. A lot of that was happening. It's an interesting city, interesting state, an interesting history. I won't, I won't, I won't mention it by name yet. But you know what? I, I, may, I reserve the right. It's just uh, it's an interesting dynamic. And I'm telling you, I'm a little tired. No, I'm a lot tired. I mean, pre-pandemic, I was already house shopping outside of this country. And now... You know, I've, I have certain familial obligations that have that are tethered. I don't want to say tethering me to this land right now, but uh, there are certain things I have to take care of familially before I can even move on to other things. But at the same time, I'm going to I'm after what occurred. Just on the eve of Juneteenth, where the sheriff was trying to buck break the runaway slave, that would be me. It really tells me that I'm ready. To, I'm, I'm ready for a new experiences. I've grown tired and bored with this. In this dynamic. Like, I, I, you know, I remember I was telling my lady, I said, we need to do a road trip throughout all the states. You know, I want to visit, the, start with the ones I haven't been to and revisit the ones I've been to with new lenses and going to new places and not just the familiar haunts that I've been been to. I said, it's time for me to see the other, you know, states. And she was like, OK, the other 27, just drive through it. And um, I no longer want to do that. I no longer want to do that. I, I no longer have that compulsion. I had, you know, and I was thinking of bringing a camera, doing this, or, you know, maybe coming up with some sort of mini documentary sort of idea. And I no longer want to do that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No longer. There are, there, are, there are very few states in the union that are even on my bucket list, if any, if any more. You know, I haven't been to Colorado and I'm like, maybe I'll just go to Switzerland if I want to go skiing and see some mountains. Go to the Swiss Alps or the French Alps. You know, maybe I'll do that instead. That, that's where I'm at with it right now. Doing large part to how I've been treated within the contiguous United States. By the state apparatus. In its many forms and functions. Just saying. In any case, like I was saying before, guys, if you have anything you want to speak about, please feel free to email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, thank you guys. Until we speak again.